Hi, I'm Pastor Nathan from River Rock Church in Belle Plaine, Minnesota. And in this installment of Walking Our Way Through the Bible, we come to Genesis chapter 14. So let's begin in Genesis chapter 14, verse 1. In those days, King Amraphel of Shinar, King Ariak of Elasar, King Chedorlaomer of Elam, and King Tadal of Goim waged war against King Bera of Sodom, King Bersha of Gomar, King Shinad of Adma, and King Shember of Zeboim, as long as the as well as the king of Vela, that is Zoar, and all of these came as allies to the Siddim Valley, that is the Dead Sea. They were subject to Chader Lomer for twelve years, but in the thirteenth year they rebelled. In the fourteenth year, Chader and the kings who were with him came and defeated the Rephaim in Ashtaroth, Karneam, and Zuzim in Ham, the Emim in Sheva, Karathaim, and the Harites in the mountains of Seir, as far as El Paran by the wilderness. Then they came back to invade in Mishpat, that is Kadesh, and they defeated the whole territory territory of the Amalekites, as well as the Amorites who lived in Hazan Tamar. Then the king of Sodom, the king of Gomar, the king of Adma, the king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, that is Zoar, went out and lined up for battle in the Siddim Valley against King Chedorlaomer of Alam, King Tittle of Goam, King Aramaphel of Shinar, and King Ariak of Elasar, four kings against five. Now the Siddim Valley contained many asphalt pits, and as the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, some fell into them, but the rest fled to the mountains. The four kings took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their food and went on. They also took Abram's nephew Lot and his possessions, for he was living in Sodom, and they went on. One of the survivors came and told Abram the Hebrew, who lived near the oaks belonging to Memre the Amorite, the brother of Eshcol and the brother of Aner, they were bound by a treaty with Abram. When Abram heard that his relative had taken prisoner, he assembled his 318 trained men, born in his household, and they went in pursuit as far as Dan. And he and his servants deployed against them by night, defeated them, and pursued them as far as Abah to the north of Damascus. He brought back all the goods and also his relative Lot and his goods, as well as the women and the other people. After Abram returned from defeating Chedorlaomer and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him in the Sheva Valley, that is, the king's valley. Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest to God Most High. He blessed him and said, Abram is blessed by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and blessed by God Most High, who has handed over your enemies to you. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Then the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the people, but take the possessions for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand in an oath to the Lord, God most high, creator of heaven and earth, that I will not take a thread or sandal strap or anything that belongs to you, as you, so you can never say, I made Abram rich. I will take nothing except what the servants have eaten. But as for the share of the men who came with me, Aner, Eshkal, and Mamre, they can take their share. So Genesis chapter 14 is a pretty fascinating chapter because it begins with this battle between these nine kings, four on one side and five on the other. Now, in the middle of this battle, they take over Sodom. And if you remember from chapter 13, that's where Lot and his family have settled. And as they're taking the possessions and the people, they end up actually taking Lot captive. And so Abram gathers his men, his trained fighting men, and they go and they fight against these kings. And they retrieve everything back, all the people, all the goods, and especially Lot, his relative, is freed when Abram goes and attacks him. 
And then what's really fascinating is this figure, Melchizedek, king of Salem. Because not only is he a king, like some of the other kings that are mentioned here, but it was also said that he is a priest to God Most High. Now, Melchizedek, being a priest to God Most High, is unusual when we look in the Old Testament. It's not unusual because he was a priest, because there's a lot of priests, um, but it's unusual because he was a priest king. And also his priesthood, the origin of that is not well known, right? So the other priests that we'll see in the New Testament, oftentimes they inherit their priesthood because they're Levites or they're appointed them by other men who are already priests. But none of that information is given to us about Melchizedek. And it's also fascinating because when we look into the New Testament, we see that Melchizedek, as the priest king, serves as a foreshadowing figure, a hint of the true priest king that is to come, the true Messiah that is to come, which we know is Jesus Christ. In fact, in Hebrews, it says that um, Jesus is the, the most high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Because like Melchizedek, Jesus did not need to gain his priesthood through some sort of genealogy or through it being appointed to him by some other man or by some other person who was a priest. But Jesus serves as our great high priest, as the ultimate sacrifice, and as the intercessor between us and the Father because of who he is, right? Because he is fully God and fully man, that he is God incarnate come down to earth to live, minister, suffer, die, and rise again on our behalf. And it's fascinating when you read Genesis and other pastors of the Bible and you just see how interconnected the Word of God is. That here in Genesis chapter 14, we see something that points to Jesus. And Jesus talks about this uh, in the Gospels where he says that all the law and the prophets point to him. Jesus is not just the cornerstone of the, of the message of the Gospel, but he is the true answer to every question in the Bible. Right? He's the true end, the ultimate satisfying end to every storyline, to every account that either we tell in our own lives or we see in the Bible as well. That he is the way, the truth, and life. And we see that exemplified in the way that the whole Bible points to him. So I hope that this has helped you as you seek to understand and study Genesis chapter 14 and the rest of the Bible. And I pray that in all things, God's name would be glorified and his will be done.